one of the greatest mountain climbers in history is a guy by the name of George Mallory, and he's best known for his attempts at climbing Mount Everest. In 1924, he and his climbing buddy tried to be the first to ever reach the summit of Mount Everest, and they disappeared. And their bodies were discovered 75 years later in 1999. And it was debated whether uh, George Mallory and his climbing buddy ever made it to the top. George's most famous quote came when he was asked over and over again why he wanted to climb Mount Everest. He simply said, because it's there. And as I've been thinking about uh, George's life, and I was reading another book that talked more and more about George, um, he had a son as well. And George's son, was na- his name was John. And, and John, his son, said that he was very proud of his father, but he was also very sad. And he explained why he was sad. He said, he said I would so much rather have known my father than to have grown up in the shadow of a legend, a hero, as some people perceive him to be. And the author goes on to explain that George Mallory, he liked the challenges and the thrill of the mountain because it was there. But so was his son. He, he had this joy in scaling the mountain and the challenges that it brought. It was quite a thrill because it was there. But the mundane, boring life in the living room with his family just wasn't going to cut it. In this room, if you really think about it, it's just because of location, where we're located. In this room, the people in here are driven to greatness, especially in this area. You want to accomplish great things. And I'm not saying that it's a bad thing. It's not a bad thing. You want to achieve great things. You have these mountains of your dreams and your visions, and you want to make it to the top. But I want to tell you this. If you fail to engage others with love, all comes to nothing. Even if you want to get spiritual on me and you have great big dreams and visions of what you want to accomplish for God, that's, that's awesome. But no love comes to nothing. Here's a formula for you. Greatness minus love equals nothing. Greatness minus love equals nothing. That's basically the way the Apostle Paul starts out his most famous chapter on love that you probably had read out of your context at your wedding. Awesome. It's okay. I'll let that slide. So let's go ahead and look at that. You okay with that? Let's go look at 1 Corinthians 13 as we are starting with the first fruit of the Spirit as we started last week on love. Let's look at that. 1 Corinthians 13. Turn in your Bibles. Look on the person next to you if you can't find it. And you kind of wonder, what is the context if it is not a wedding context? Because it's not. The context is a church in Corinth who is receiving a letter from the Apostle Paul. 
And the church in Corinth, they had a, a lot of greatness going on within their church. They had a lot of great spiritual gifts, but they were lacking in love. You see, in this church, it was a very, what we would call charismatic church, and they were bursting with the gifts of tongues and and prophecies and even the gift of of faith. Yet, in the midst of exercising all these gifts, they failed to show love. Uh, Do you get this? Their gifts were all about showing off, and they weren't considering the other person and showing love. So they had greatness and great gifts but no love. And and Paul comes along, and he does not throw out the gifts, as you will see in chapter 14 or chapter 12. He doesn't throw the gifts out, but he highlights the fact that if you don't have love, then all those gifts and all that greatness is pointless. So what he does in chapter 13 is that he highlights love by making three strong points. And you can kind of see it in the movements of the paragraphs we're going to cover. And I'm going to put it up here for you just so you can kind of know where we're going. Don't get too caught up on it. But this is where we're going. This will be the structure of today. The first three verses says greatness minus love is nothing. And then we're going to get into the definition of love. To love is a selfless sacrifice. It's not about me and it's probably going to hurt. And the last portion Paul ends by saying, love endures forever because it is rooted in God's forever love. So as I speak to a room full of people who are wanting to achieve greatness, let's do it. Let's start out with these great abilities and accomplishments in verse 1 of chapter 13. Let's go. 1 Corinthians 13, verse 1. If I speak in the tongues of men and of angels but have not love, I am a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. So this is a person who can speak in tongues but without love, a bunch of noise. Keep going. And if I have prophetic powers and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have all faith so as to remove mountains but have not love, I am nothing. So even the great gift of prophecy or the great gift of faith that can shift these mountains from one place to another, nothing without love. And he finishes in verse 3, if I give away all I have and if I deliver up my body to be burned but have not love, I gain nothing. So you can give away all your possessions to the poor to serve the Lord. You can even sacrifice your body and martyrdom, but it gains you nothing if you do it with the wrong motives. You have the wrong heart. You have no love. Greatness minus love equals nothing. There was once this young man as there are many young men in here, who wanted to accomplish great things for God. And you know the type of person who will go anywhere and do anything for God. I don't need a show of hands, but my guess is that most of you would go anywhere and do absolutely anything that God called you to do, right? Yes, you would. You would go and you would lay down your life for the Lord. Many of you are like that. But the problem with this guy is that he was young, as many of you are, and he was also married, and he had problems within his marriage, and he had this, this little kid, and he, he's kind of like George Mallory because his issue was is that even though he had a troubled marriage, he didn't see how that factored into his pursuit of greatness. So as he was trying to pursue greatness, I'll do anything for God, he didn't see how greatness factored into actually dealing with and loving his wife. And so this guy had a mentor who's trying to give him some perspective. And, and he, this is what his mentor said of him. He said, he was restless to do something great for God, and yet he didn't know how to include changing diapers 
in his definition of greatness. I want to do great things for God. Changing diapers is not my part of the equation. There is this drive within most of us in here to accomplish great things. But if we do not love, it cancels things out. And when I come to 1 Corinthians 13, I I really like this chapter because this chapter, almost every single time I come to it, it slows me down. Because I am so driven in my mind and in my heart that I want to crank out a lot of things for the Lord and crank out a lot in this life before I die. But when I come to 1 Corinthians 13, it slows me down and it shows me the kind of person that I am not. But it also shows me the kind of person that I want to be. Because in my natural unrestrained state, I am driven, you are driven to accomplish these great things. But when I come to 1 Corinthians 13, it slows me down. And so I'm going to give you a silly image right now. Maybe this will stick with you. This is a silly image of what I mean by 1 Corinthians 13 gives me perspective. And it has to do with the NBA finals that happened about two weeks ago. Are you with me? Between the Spurs and the Heat. And after the Heat won, you know they won because Shane Battier hit about six three-pointers. Shane Battier hit six three-pointers during... The final, are, you, are you with me, all right? Then the last game. Now, when it was over, you know, he, he moved from the podium where he was all the confetti receiving the award. Well, well, get this. A few hours later, what did he do? Well, he didn't do what some of the other players did, which was go and partying with Drake. You know who that is? The rapper, the club. All right. Well, there's pictures. Of the, are you with me? All right. So he didn't do that. But there's a picture of Shane Battier a few hours later eating at Denny's. Denny's with his friends and his family, having a meal of love. Denny's. The the, the meal of champions, I guess. But but think about it. You're moving from the podium where all these great things, and then you're just having this meal of love at Denny's. And I I don't know about you, but I, I want the podium. I want the confetti coming down on me. I want the highlight real, and I want this, this to be the focus, and I want to be able to use my gifts to the maximum, and you do too, and you want all this greatness to come to God and glory to Him. We want to maximize our gifts of faith, and we want to start new ventures and new adventures, but sitting around the table and loving each other is so boring. It's mundane, and it's bland, but I want to tell you this. It's part of the deal. That's the way God set it up. The firefighter can go out and he can rescue someone from the fire and he's the hero, but he's got to go back to the firehouse and love the other firemen and cook them dinner and clean. The mom can plan this great Disney World vacation where the kids think that she's the mom of the year, but she's got to come back and daily take care of the kids. The CEO can turn around the the company, and he's a great hero, but he still needs to love his employees. And I wish I could speak to the college students who are mostly gone here this morning, but the college student can go off to these great mission trips over the summer, and they can send me updates, which they are doing all the time now, of the great adventures that they are having. But when it's all said and done, they have to come back and hang out and love their mom and dad. I want the podium I don't want Denny's. 
greatness minus love equals nothing. And yet, when we have this pursuit of our call in life and we inject love, it brings glory to God. But as you know, it's not going to be easy because loving other people is hard. And this brings us to the second point Paul is making, that love is a selfless sacrifice, which means it's not about me and it's probably going to hurt. How many of us think in, in those terms in love that it's not about me and it's probably going to hurt? Anybody down with that? No, we think of love as it's going to feel great. Not always. Let's go. 1 Corinthians 13, verse 4. Now, as we're jumping into this, let's do something for fun. As we think about the love of God, let's insert, instead of the word love, let's put the word Jesus in there. You okay with that? Just do it real quick. Verse 4. Jesus is patient and kind. Jesus does not envy or boast. Jesus is not arrogant or rude. And we could go on and on. So Jesus, he loved perfectly. Now, the problem with taking that view of this passage is that that's true, but that's not what Paul is getting at. He's calling you to love like that. So instead of putting Jesus' name there, put your name there. I'll do it for illustration's sake. Are you ready? Here we go. Jason is patient and kind. Jason does not envy or boast. Jason is not arrogant or rude. Jason is getting very uncomfortable right now and very convicted because that's not me. Is that, is that, does that describe you? Why do we get so convicted like we, we, that we can't love like this? How can we love like this? All right, all right, two things. Two things. Since Jesus met this standard, and he really did love like this when he was on the earth. He loved God, and he loved people perfectly. The reality is, is that now a sinful, unloving people like us can be in the presence of God through faith in Jesus who died for unloving sinners, Okay. So when we put our faith in Jesus, God not only forgives us our sins, but as we are clothed in the righteousness of Christ, in his love, that when the Father looks at us, he sees us as loving in Christ. Does that make any sense to you? That's why the Father can accept us. Not just because we're not just forgiven, but we're also in the righteousness of Christ. So as Christ was, we are in the Father's sight. But, but there's still this reality here. Now we're still called to love. How can we pull it off? Not in your own strength. And since we're talking about the Spirit, the fruit of the Spirit, the power of the Holy Spirit, you can love because of the Holy Spirit. Let me show you a most fabulous verse. It comes from the book of Romans. Romans chapter 5. Let me put it up for you. It says, God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. So the Christian, if you're a Christian here, you cannot ever say, I can't love. That's a lie. Because the deal is, the Holy Spirit is in you. 
And that love has been poured into your heart. It's there from God. And now the love of the Spirit can, in a sense, spill out of you onto others. The power's there. The ability is there. Doesn't mean it's going to be easy. Doesn't mean you're always going to like it. But it's there. So with that understanding of that out of your heart can flow love to others, let's retrace 4 through 7 and just kind of say, huh, what about that? Let's take each one. Let's do it real quick. Look at the first one. Love is patient. It's hard to be patient with someone when they won't get it together, right? Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Get your stuff together. But God is patient with you, and you still don't have it together. You think you have it all together. You don't, and God's still patient with you. And the next one says, love is kind. Well, you say, I don't want to be kind to someone else because they don't deserve it. Well, God is kind to you, and you don't deserve it. Not only is love is patient, love is kind. It says it does not have envy. It doesn't burn with envy. Why should you burn with envy? Is God enough or not? Well, in love is not full of boasting. Well, here's what the natural self does. It boasts in itself, but it is supernatural when you start boasting in others, when you start pointing out the good things in them. That, that's, that's the Holy Spirit. That's supernatural. It says that love is not full of arrogance and rudeness. They go hand in hand. But instead, love is uh, humility and full of courtesy that comes through this self-forgetfulness. And notice right in the middle, it says, love does not insist on its own ways. That means it's not about you. It's not about your rights. It's about loving someone else. It's not about you. It says, love is not irritable. Is there, are there any irritable people in here? Yeah. Are, are there anybody in here that is easily set off? Well, you know what love does? Love lets things slide. I'll let it slide. Yeah, I'll let that slide. I'll let that slide. Love does not get resentful. Maybe there's some of you, the way you like to fight is you like to keep all this, these thoughts of resentment, and when it's time to bring them up, you bust them out, and you bust them on someone else. That's not love. And love does not rejoice at wrongdoing. Sometimes you may love when someone else reaps what they sow. That's not love. Love instead rejoices with the truth, bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. It's like that song we're about to sing in a little bit to God. We're going to sing to God, your love never fails. It never gives up. It never runs out on me. Don't make me sing it. But we're going we're to sing that song. And it's going to be great. And that's true of God. But if you're a believer, there is some semblance where that kind of love, that kind of love is to spill out of you onto other people. Yes, the power of the Holy Spirit, the fruit of the Spirit, spill out of you onto others. So let's get, let's get real right now. How can we do that? How can we bear fruit? What are some of these implications? Well, let's get really practical. Let me put it up for you. Number one, implication number one. I must not wait until I feel loving to do something loving versus I'm excused from loving you because I don't feel like it and I don't want to be a hypocrite. Do I need to wait till I feel loving to do something loving? I don't think so. 
the Bible is still calling me to love. And if I wait for my feelings, I'm going to be waiting for a long time. Look at the second implication. I must challenge my unloving attitudes versus I'll love you, but just not like you. If you have an unloving attitude towards someone else, do not let that go unchallenged. Do not just say, I'll go through the motions, but inwardly, I don't like you. Challenge those unloving attitudes within. Challenge it. Don't let it just sit. And the third one is this. I must love others without a catch versus if you do blank, then I'll love you. If you act right, I'll love you. If you love me, then I'll love you. Can you think of how God loves you? God loves you in Christ without a catch. He doesn't say, if you jump through these hoops, then I'll love you. Nope. He loves you without a catch in Christ. We don't jump through hoops. And we are to love others in the same way without a catch. But love, it's selfless. It's a selfless sacrifice. It's not about you, and it's probably going to hurt. If you are not denying yourself and loving other people, then you're probably not loving because loving means you forget yourself and love others, and it's not easy. But that love is in us and spills out of us onto others. And that brings us to the last point Paul's trying to make here, that love endures forever because it's rooted in God's forever love. Let's look at the last point. He's trying to show how love is going to outlast all these great spiritual gifts and accomplishments. Verse 8, look at verse 8. Love never ends. As for prophecies, they will pass away. As for tongues, they will cease. As for knowledge, it will pass away. So once again, prophecy, tongues, and knowledge are going to pass away. When Jesus comes back at his second coming, or when you die and you're with the Lord in heaven, then we'll be seeing him face to face, and love will still endure. Verse 9. For we know in part and we prophesy in part, but when the perfect comes, the partial will pass away. The perfect here is referring to Jesus, his second coming, or seeing him in heaven. And that which is partial will be gone. Basically, what this is saying is that I will be out of a job. All right? My preaching, my explaining, my teaching, all this in a sense is partial because I'm trying to get you to see something that you can't see, but one day that's going to be gone because you're going to see the Lord face to face and be with him forever. And even though my preaching will not last, love will. And that's the point he's trying to make. Verse 11. When I was a child, I spoke like a child, I thought like a child, I reasoned like a child. When I became a man, I gave up childish ways. For now we see in a mirror dimly, but then face to face. Now I know in part, then I shall know fully, even as I have been fully known. So when Christ comes back, I I hate to say this, but this immature way, this childish way of communicating this truth, which I'm trying as best, as much as we can in this human language, it's, it's going to be gone because we're going to have the presence of God. But right now we have, this, we have this dimly mirror one day face to face. Paul is saying these awesome gifts that you Corinthians have, as great as they are, will pass away. However, love will endure forever. And that's the way he closes, verse 13. So now faith, hope, and love abide, these three 
the greatest of these is love. Faithfulness to Jesus and hope in the Lord will remain, but the greatest is love. As God's love endures forever, he's the one that started it. He's the one that will keep it going on. God is love. When we're with him in eternity, we'll see him face to face, and the love that we have done down here will last forever. It's a really easy argument. It really is. And I'm fine with you using it at your wedding all you want, but that's the argument. It's like the greatness, these achievements, great gifts, awesome. But without love, they are nothing. And here I am, I've been a Christian for about 20 years, and I'll tell you what, this exhortation is something I need to hear over and over again because it calms me down from my overemphasis, overemphasis to strive to produce, to accomplish something great. I remember when I was single. I, I see many people are, are single in here, and I just think about summers. It's summertime, and you're here, you're single, maybe your friends are gone, maybe you're starting new, you're trying to figure out what you're doing with your time, with your life, and you're trying to maybe you crank out some grad school, get a job, transfer. You're, you're dreaming big dreams, and you have big visions. You're trying to figure this all out. But don't miss this loving piece. Don't kind of just put that on the back. Don't even, just don't even show up to church and think, you know what, I'll listen to the sermon, sing some songs, and move on. Now, there's probably people in here God wants you to love. He wants you to engage. I, I remember when I was single in, in grad school or, or, for me, seminary, and I, I was thinking, you know, God, I am here. I'm available. I'm ready to accomplish big things for you. And, and boy, I was cranking it. I was studying. I was praying. I was trying to do great things from the Lord. I wanted to preach. I wanted to disciple with all that I had. But God was like, that's nice, Jason, and that's what I want you to do. But I'm going to teach you more about how to love as well. I can love in all those things. I'm really going to teach you about love. So what, what God did, and I, I don't know why he did it to me, but he did. He, in my 20s, in the midst of cranking it all out, he ordained in his providence, that me, oh, this is so sad, and me alone at 22 years old would be the sole caretaker of my ill grandmother. Now, I want you to understand this. foul mouth me, uh, crazy life, partying, get saved at 19, going to be a preacher, go to seminary, and just not having a clue uh, on how to relate to women, period. And I'm now going to take care of my ill grandmother, for the next several years. And what did I say? Well, God, I think that's a great idea. No, I was like, this is an interruption. I have vision, I have dreams, and you're interrupting me, God. I, I don't know how to take care of a grandma. I don't know what to do with diapers. I don't know what to do with medication. I don't know what I'm doing. I, don't know how to, I can't even cook for myself. How can I cook for someone else? I don't know what I'm doing. This is an interruption. I'm here to go to seminary and be this, this preacher that you can use, but this is what I'm supposed to do. And yet, that was God's plan. And as I look back, I go, well, that was a good idea, God. That was a good idea. It really, really just knocked a lot of sense into me and, and helped me to love. So I get that. But here I am, now I'm older, and I, I still don't get it. I still view opportunities to love 
as interruptions. I do. Do you? I still view opportunities to love as interruptions. Let me, let me explain this one. Oh, boy. My youngest child, some of you who know who I'm talking about, my youngest child is a foster boy, and his name is Darion, and he just turned two. And last weekend, my wife had a, a lot of appointments for the kids and a variety of errands and meetings, and I knew going in that it was going to be a really long weekend of me taking care of Darion. And so I, I've kind of um, I named that weekend. I should get a shirt made, but I, I, I named the weekend a Darionathon. You know, like a marathon, it was a Darionathon. So here's the deal. He's at one of those stages in life, you've ever had a two-year-old, you're like, they just demand all your attention. attention. And I thought, okay, here's the deal. So we're out in the front yard. You think nothing can go wrong in the front yard, so I'm going to get on my cell phone and pursue greatness on the Internet, you know, like we all do. We're always doing great things on the Internet. So I'm pursuing greatness on the Internet. And, and Darion is like running out into the streets. Like, what are you doing? No street. Can't you see I'm trying to be great here? You're interrupting me. So then I take him inside. It's got to be safer inside. And so I put him in another room. Maybe if I don't see him, everything's okay. And I, I, I'm trying to read the Wall Street Journal because all great leaders read the Wall Street Journal, right? And I'm trying to be a great leader reading the Wall Street Journal. And Darion is just screaming in the other room. And I'm just ignoring him, reading the Wall Street Journal. And he somehow wedged himself in a chair, and he's screaming, and he's pushing the chair, and he's screaming. He's like, stuck, I'm stuck, I'm stuck. And he gets, he gets stuck about 10 times a day right now. He loves getting stuck. And, and here are two views. Here we go. Darion is an interruption to me pursuing greatness. Another view. God has put Darion into my life for me to love, and that's part of the deal. That's part of glorifying God. Sometimes I just don't get it. Maybe you're with me. Are there people that God has put into your life to love and you are considering them an interruption? Maybe they're not an interruption. Maybe you need to reconsider. Maybe they're people that God wants you to love. And that's part of the deal. That's part of you glorifying God, by doing great things, by loving people. Because don't forget, greatness minus love equals nothing. And yes, love is a selfless sacrifice. It's, it's probably going to hurt, and it's not about you. But that love, empowered by the Spirit, is going to last forever on into eternity as it will bring glory to God. And it's part of the deal, and that's where God wants us to go on loving. Let's pray. Lord, I'm so glad that you've loved us in Christ. You're so patient. You're so kind. You suffer along with us. You bear with us. You endure our issues And Lord, we're just asking that somehow that you would let that love by your spirit spill out of us onto others. And right now, Lord, may we just kind of stop. And may you speak to each person right now 
Who do you want them to love right now that they are considering an interruption? Maybe it's someone in their dorm, their apartment, their family, their kids, even their parents, their grandparents. Who have you placed into their lives right now to love and they're writing them off as an interruption? Lord, change our hearts in your providence and in your sovereignty. You've given people for us to love. It's part of the deal. You've given us great callings for our work and at our homes. There are things you want us to do and accomplish, absolutely, but you want us to do them and love and love people. So, Lord, give us a vision going out of here, how to let this love spill out of us when it is hard, very hard. But, Lord, we want to be relying upon you and your power and your strength to pull it off starting today. Show us who they are. Give us the power and the grace to love them. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen.